Hello all, happy Easter everyone, and this is our Easter Old Emerald and Young James Talk Politics. Um, you know, yesterday was Good Friday, Easter Sunday tomorrow, I hope we're all spending the uh, long weekend with our families, friends, or whoever we wish to spend it with. Uh, how are you, Ev? Well, good, I'm, I'm at Coolum Beach with my family, who've come from various parts of Australia, and that's, that's very pleasant, and we're having a... We're having a good uh, a good weekend here, and uh, you know, that, that that that's fine. Well, of all the uh, <clears throat> there's a few spectacular things started this week. Perhaps we better talk first about the Liberal Party and specifically Peter Dutton deciding to uh, oppose her voice, and then uh, we can get on to uh, uh, you know to 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 a couple of other uh, uh, you know important things like what they did to uh, our friend uh, Donald Trump. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about, well, it did not surprise me that the Liberals voted to oppose voice. The Nationals had already done that a couple of months ago. The Christian right controlled the Liberals, and and uh, that, was, that was the way it was always going to be. But the big issue that I found in talking to Liberals has been that it's, this is an issue that they believe they can beat elbow on. Forget about that it's about voice and, and, and what its implications the nation are. In the parliament, they're so weak, uh, not just in numbers, but weak in the quality of the opposition, uh, that they're not going to get anywhere with any legislation or any amendments or whatever in parliament. And so uh, this is the one thing that they can beat Albo on, and they believe they can humiliate him on it. And they, they, they've done some soundings and believe that the yes vote's very soft out there, and they can scare a lot of people uh, into it. And so... It did not surprise me that they decided to uh, oppose yes. How did it hit you, James? I um, it, I, sh I should just flag from the outset. I hope our listeners aren't getting bored with how often we talk about voice on this show, but it really is a huge, important flashpoint issue in that. And I think I've said this before, as Senator Pat Dodson said, if voice fails, that will set reconciliation back like 40 years. So it's incredibly important for reconciliation that this referendum passes, which is why we're devoting so much time to it. Um, it's, I think, you know, before the Aston by-election, um, I was sort of a bit worried about what would happen if the Liberals opposed the voice to Parliament. But all the signs we're seeing now are that people have no time for Peter Dutton's thuggish brand of politics. Um, and if the Aston by-election showed one thing, it's that even voters in not just metropolitan Liberal seats, who you expect to support the voice, but the so-called outer urban seats where Peter Dutton's racism is supposed to play well, are not buying it. Um, when you combine that with the fact that you've got moderate Liberals like Bridget Archer and Tasmania's Peter Gutwin coming out and saying, voice is good, support voice, we refuse to campaign for the no vote, uh, and we will be campaigning for yes. I think there is a sizable enough chunk of voters everywhere except Queensland, um, because as you point out, Queensland does have that really strong hard right element and religious right element. But the words from Peter Gutwin, the former Liberal Premier of Tasmania, were scathing. He said that their opposition, the Liberal, the Federal Liberal Party's opposition to voice is going to accelerate their continued slide into irrelevance. And that's coming from a former Liberal Premier who was Premier only like 
two years ago. So I think there are enough voices, especially within state Liberal parties. I mean, the New South Wales Liberal Party signed on the Yes for Voice, Tasmania's Liberal Party did. Um, I think there are enough voices within the state Liberal parties to come campaign time, come the crunch, hopefully drown out the racism and bigotry and the Dutton arguments against it. Well, well, you know, there are all sorts of factors in this. And, and uh, uh, look, the, the yes vote at the moment is very soft, I know, because I'm going to meet people feel they want to do the right thing, but, but they're uneasy about it. And Dutton will sort of, uh, uh, you know, will play on that. But the, the other bit of politics, you see, Pauline Hanson is making this her big, big uh, issue. Now, Barnaby has decided that he's going to lead the Nationals campaign. I don't know whether the Nationals ever told him he could, but he's decided now Dutton and the Liberals are scared that a lot of Liberal voters will move to back. They'll see Hanson as the saviour of the whole show, and therefore not will they just back Hanson in this. They'll back Hanson in the next uh, in the next election. So they're trying to cover their backsides on the other side against Hanson, Palmer, Barnaby, uh, all of those. And so there, I actually think uh, uh, this is going to kill the Liberal Party off in one way or another. Uh, I think Hanson will see it as an opportunity to kill them off. So there's all sorts of tides going, isn't it? Well, I mean, and the ironic thing about that is, despite what Sky News and The Australian and that are saying about how the Liberals need to push further right to get back into the fray, the Liberals are not losing votes to their right. They are not losing votes to One Nation or to Clive Palmer. They're losing votes to moderate independents and to the Labor Party um, and to the Greens. That's where the Liberals are losing their votes to. They're not losing votes to the right. It's not like the reason the Liberals did terribly at the last state and federal election was because of a One Nation surge taking votes away from the Liberals. Um, disaffected Liberal voters flocked to the Labor Party, the Greens, and to moderate independents. They did not flock to One Nation. So, yeah, I yeah, think but the, 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 this thing, though, in the referendum, there's a different thing to the way they vote in election. This is a big opportunity for Hanson to become the heroine of the whole show. And, and, and they've got to watch it. This is a, a separate issue to the normal things that happened in. Aston by-election, I mean, the Aston by-election and all sorts of strange things, 15% of the voters of Aston are of Chinese descent. And I think the Liberal Party forgot all about that, that, that mm -hmm. you know, the way they've treated China, even though the Australian Chinese aren't terribly in love with what's happening back there, it's still their nation, you know. And, and, and so I, I think they lost the Chinese vote there. So the, the Liberals are in trouble for a whole range of reasons. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I just think if if polling and recent election results are anything to go by, and I touch wood saying this, I think Pauline is almost a spent force, um, which would be wonderful because you look at other countries in Anglosphere politics, you look at what the super hard right was able to accomplish through Trump in America. Uh, you look at what the super hard right was able to accomplish through Nigel Farage and Brexit in the UK. In Australia, despite Pauline sort of always being in and around, um, at least in, in the 21st century, she's never actually done much. She hasn't 
had some huge flashpoint victory like, say, Brexit or like Trump for her super evil brand of politics. Um, we, you could argue, and quite rightly, that hard right elements in the Liberal Party, in the Queensland Liberal Party especially, have had some huge hard right wins. But I just note that, yeah, Pauline, unlike the hard right in the US and the UK, doesn't seem to be capable of pulling off those big national victories. Um, well, well, and I think she's aware of that and thinks that this is her big final chance to redeem herself or do, uh, or, you know, or do whatever. Look, with the voice referendum, you know, I'm a yes voter and I'm a yes campaigner and I'm a campaigner of the oldies. Now, the oldies vote is, 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 is quite negative right across uh, Australia. And... and, and uh, uh, when I go to meetings, when you listen to the no case, I'm sitting there saying, look, if I was on the no side, I could make a big issue of these, these things they're raising. Uh, but that's not the point. We're not looking for a perfect setup in this change to, 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 to voice. What we're saying is this is a first essential step. And for what, whatever might be wrong with it, it's a first step towards something better than we have now and we can improve on it or we can change it, you know, have, a, have a further referendums. But we've got to take a first step and stop dancing around the fire and kicking the can down the road and doing all those things. It's essentially a first... And whatever's wrong with it, it's a first step, isn't it? And, yeah, just to round that off, it looks like Peter Dutton's shifted now from the there's not enough detail argument this thing about the Canberra voice, he's calling it. He said, we, the Liberal Party, now support legislated local and regional voices, and Albo's Canberra voice is a no-go. Uh, what's important to raise is that, A, the Liberal Party was in government for nine years and did not legislate local and regional voices, which makes one think their support for such a voice is uh, a lie. But B, and more importantly, the voice that we will be voting on is not Albo's Canberra voice. It is the first step, as you say, put forward after the Uluru Conference, which brought Indigenous leaders from all around the country together to talk about and advocate for the path forward for reconciliation. And voice, treaty and truth is what they came up with. This is not Albo's Canberra creation. This is the result of I know it wasn't a formal constitutional convention, but Uluru was essentially the biggest and most in-depth constitutional convention we've had since before foundation. Uh, and that's what they came up with, voice, treaty, truth. Um, but unfortunately that day, an element walked out before the vote and that element is now represented by Jacinta Price, the Liberal Senator, Indigenous Liberal Centre for Northern Territory, so she's getting around saying, well, I was a Uluru and we walked out and therefore I'm being consistent. So there's all sorts of things going to get dragged across the path one way or another. I think we've got to get, you know, get down to the, the, you know, the simple facts of how this thing is going to work. And I intend in all my campaigning not to attack Dutton and Hanson and when I go out making speeches. All that does is give them publicity. I'm just going to talk about the logic of what we're trying to do and where they make a crazy statement, just point out what's right without saying, look, Dutton's an idiot or Hanson. The more we attack them, the more they, they get a sympathy vote and whatever. 
we we got to handle this campaign with dignity, just stick to the issues, keep it simple, keep it fair, and I think we'll win, can't we? Yeah, I, I think that's right, because there is the positive case for the voice is there. Um, it is that the positive case for the voice is not just there, but it's strong. Um, and it is, I think, all in all a winning case, especially we're very lucky we're at a time where the Liberal Party is at its weakest um, all across the country. And, you know, we've got in every state except Tasmania, we have a Labor Premier willing to campaign for the voice. And in Tasmania, we have a Liberal Premier willing to campaign for the voice. So we um, we do that, that there's such support at state level, even though the federal Liberals and Nationals aren't supporting it. Um, I think is a good sign because at the end of the day, it's states and not the federal vote that matters. And the Liberal Party could run up as big a no vote as they want in Queensland uh, if all five other states even slightly lean yes, uh, the voice will go through. Yeah. Well, well, well bear in mind that they, they, uh, there's got to be four states vote yes, otherwise yeah. it doesn't matter how the, you know, the, the, it's out because that's what the Constitution says. Well, leaving that moving on to the United States where Donald Trump uh, became the first former president to, to get arraigned and charged with, with, a, with a felony or whatever, whatever it is, whatever legal word you want to use. Now, I think he is, and he put on a big turn about, you know, that all they're doing, is he, all he's done is try to make America better and they're trying to shut him up and all this emotional stuff he goes on with. And he reckoned that America was going to rise up and, and put it now. New York put 35,000 policemen on the streets uh, expecting to handle big riots, and most of them went to sleep yawning with nothing to do because while while people, some people turned up, the, 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 the vitriol across the nation was a tiny fraction of what Trump said it would be, or have I read it wrong? No, you, you've, you've read it right. You've read it entirely right. Um, I don't know if this is smart Trump supporters staying home, lest there's another January 6th which impacts negatively on his publicity, or if it's just that outside of the Republican Party, he too is a spent force. Um, I lean towards thinking, hopefully and optimistically, that it's the latter, just because after the 2020 election, at special elections, at the midterms, etc., we saw wave after wave of Trump-backed candidates in swing states fail. Um, and we saw Trump-based rhetoric in swing states fail. And we're still seeing that. Um, so it gives me optimism to think that maybe, just maybe, um, even independent voters are a little bit turned off these days by the whole Trump carnival. Because at the end of the day, with I think with swing voters, you can have really really horrible policies. Like you just look at, say, in Australia, um, John Howard's um, children overboard thing, um, you know, really, really vile set of policies. And yet, you know, the, the swing voters stuck with Howard through a series of consecutive elections because Howard, at least, even if your policies are not um, particularly nice and particularly pleasant, if you seem normal and you seem competent, um, that goes a long way with a lot of independent voters. And that the Trump branch of the Republican Party now does not seem normal. Uh, they seem like a bunch of screeching, out-of-touch lunatics, which I think is really turning off independent voters.
Well, too, and the, just talking about the Republican Party, I mean, really, they're an abomination. They claim they're Christians. Well, that's the greatest lie under the sun. Yes. But the Republicans in Tennessee this week found that two Democrat members of the Congress, the state Congress, went out and protested uh, against uh, against the state's gun laws. And so they, they, they had a vote and kicked the blokes out of the Congress, expelled them, or they suspended one and expelled another one, tried a third one down. But all because some blokes exercised their democratic rights to say, I think the gun laws, they expel them from the state house. Now, you really can't get much more stupid than that, can you? Well, that, that, that's essentially fascism, right? Expelling your political opponents from the house because you disagree with them. It's really interesting that you raise that because there were three Democrat state legislators who went to those protests, one 60-year-old white woman and two young black men. And they only expelled the two young black men from the Congress. And the white woman, she got up and said, well, the reason I'm still here and they're not is because of the colour of my skin. Um, and I think she's right that the Tennessee yeah. Republicans felt it was easy to punch down on these two young black men for the crime of speaking up. Yeah, well, it was all very sinister stuff. When they're moving to Australia this week, you know, I've been involved in the Inland Railway for a quarter of a century and and I got it to the point where they're going to build the Melbourne-Brisbane thing and then Barnaby Joyce had me fired because he wanted to take it over, even though I was not on the government payroll. He just did not even allow my company that had put in 25 years of work even to make a tender for it. Took it over and made a, a dreadful hash of it and to the extent that a, a, a formal inquiry had to be held about the gross waste of money and, and, and the waste of time and and uh, the way na the only people getting contracts were National Party people and a whole range of stupidity. And and uh, Dr. Kerry Schott, who's a very competent person whom I've known in past years, she chaired many government boards in various, both state and federal. She's done a report and it's scathing on the whole management of, of the entire thing. and. And you've got the hierarchy in the National Party involved with the Warren Trusts, uh, uh, you know, uh, Michael McCormack, uh, Barnaby Joyce, uh, uh, and, and a whole pile of others who, who, who caused this all to happen. It's probably the greatest fiasco in, in the history of major infrastructure in Australia. This is probably the greatest fiasco that ever was, and Kerry shot. Uh, made that very clear and said the Australian Rail Track Corporation, which was the government rail, has got to be sacked from the job for utter incompetence. And, and, and they had a total National Party board and National Party leadership and the whole thing. So they've been sacked. And, and what it proves is that uh, in Australia, we have descended a bit from the democracy that the founding fathers thought about in 1901, haven't we? Yeah, well, corruption in that sort of area, that area of government contracting, um, corruption in government agencies, was just absolutely rife in that Liberal government, uh, Liberal national government. And Albo has taken some steps towards um, fixing it. He has, you know, we're, we're disestablishing the AAT, where 35% of the appointments Morrison made to the AAT were ex-Liberal members or MPs. Um, we've added some, so the Fair Work Commission, the Liberals stacked with um, employer 
favouring lawyers. Uh, Labor has working to balance the books again and put more pro-worker representation on the Fair Work Commission. Um, things like the ARTC, like you say, were stacked with nationals. Um, so it's a real problem because it, it's that sort of silent corruption where those agencies that make important decisions are stacked, not with the most competent and capable people of the job, but with mates of the government. That's where your democracy can sort of silently come apart because people don't necessarily pay attention to who's getting appointed to the AAT or who's chairing the Australian Rail Track Commission. Um, but when it turns into just a jobs for the boys pyramid scheme, it becomes dreadful on so many levels, right? Yes, and, and, and loses the confidence of people in the parliamentary system and the government and uh, and other matters, and that's been bad. Well, that saga is going to, uh, you know, is going to play. Uh, it, that's going to play out for a while, and, and that, that that's going to be uh, uh, around for the while. Are we at the point where we should talk about good and bad guys, or have you got some other issue we ought to raise this week? No, uh, let yeah, let let's roll into our good and bad guys of the week. Uh, you've got a good guy. Well, there's two good guys I've actually got, and it's to do with the Liberals and the voice. Uh, Ken Wyatt, the, the Indigenous man, the first Indigenous person to hold uh, the, the job of Minister for Indigenous Affairs, appointed by Morrison. Now, I've known Ken Wyatt for a long time. He's absolutely nothing like Morrison. Now, he's certainly a right-wing politician, but uh, nothing uh, you know like Morrison, and and he was the one person in the party advocating the things be done about Uluru, but but the, the, he got howled down in the cabinet room every time he tried to do it. And so he's come out and resigned from the, you know, he lost his seat in the part of the last election, but he's now formally uh, resigned as a member of the Liberal Party, cancelled his membership because he said he just can't live with that. And I thought that takes a bit of courage because they're, they're, they're there trying now to denigrate him and say that he was an awful Indigenous Affairs Minister and all that. At least he wasn't. He tried hard to get a right-wing party to do something about Indigenous matters. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, was, but he was also backed, and I'm, I'm hoping she'll resign too, by Bridget Archer in Tasmania, who on, on all issues of, of, of ethics and values and morality and she defies the party, and they've made all sorts of threats about her. But they could kick her out, and she'd win that seat as an independent hand down. Matter of fact, the best thing they could do for her was kick her out because that would earn a thousand votes. But she stood up and said that she's not happy with it. And I think a few blokes in New South, one of that fellow, Andrew Bragg, I think he's come out and said that he's not happy with it. So I think, you know, I just want to say they're my good guys of the week. Mm, yeah, and I mean, You'd hope Archer follows Wyatt and does have the spine to cancel her membership of the party because this is, like we said before, voice isn't just about getting some words into the Constitution. It is the real reconciliation flashpoint of our time and the door to the truth and treaty next two steps. So awesome on Ken Wyatt for taking that huge step and cancelling his membership of the Liberal Party and saying, no, I can't do this anymore. Because like you say, he tabled the voice of the Uluru report not once but twice to his cabinet and both times they shouted him out of the room. Um, so I, th I think you're right. That's a very important uh, symbolic move by Wyatt to say, no, no, that's that's not good enough. Yeah, too. Now, who's your good guy of the week? 
Um, I'll, my good guy will be um, someone in Queensland, actually. It's um, Wayne Bennett. So the um, Redcliffe Dolphins just went to 4-2 and two last night, beating the North Queensland Cowboys. And it's just nice to see um, because some people were cynical when the Dolphins came into the NRL. They're a new team. A lot of people thought that they wouldn't be too good, that they were a bunch of over-the-hill players from other teams who have sort of been cobbled together. Um, and maybe they'd win a couple of games because of Wayne Bennett, but they'd be in and around the bottom of the ladder. Um, they're firmly ensconced in the top eight at the moment. They're playing really good, tough footy. And like the people of Redcliffe have been footy mad for as long as I've been alive and for probably as long as you've been alive too. I know rugby league is huge in the Redcliffe area. So I'm happy that the people of Redcliffe are able to go and um, you know watch their team, watch their Dolphins and watch their Dolphins play really well. It's been a really nice Cinderella story. Well, I mean, look, uh, uh, Wayne Bennett is an extraordinary character. I, I once chaired a Rotary meeting, Rotary Club meeting, where, where he was the guest speaker, and so I sat next to him for lunch, and I'd introduce him and thank him, and we had a good chat. And it was at the time uh, when, when the nation was debating banning tobacco, banning cigarettes, you know, banning whatever. And, it, and he said to me during his speech, he said, Deborah, why the hell are we just banning tobacco, cigarettes? Why the hell aren't we banning alcohol? Which he said, he said, I've never seen a smoking driver kill somebody on the road, but there's plenty of drunken drivers in somebody. In the road. And he said, I can tell you in all the footy teams I've handled, the blokes who've been the most difficult aren't the smokers, it's the drinkers. And he said, uh, you know, I reckon we've got to ban alcohol as well. Now, nobody, when he got up and said that, all the drinkers in the room didn't think that was a good idea. But that's the sort of fellow he is to sort of raise that sort. Of, I thought it was a bit fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting anecdote. I mean, he, he's always come off as someone who's really introverted. And there's this documentary about the dolphins. I think it's called Dawn of the Dolphins on Stan. I'm not being paid to advertise it, but I saw a little clip from it with him. And he, he talks about how he's, he's very introverted and he's not hugely a big fan of like public speaking and interviews and that sort of thing. But he's clearly a very deep thinker. Um, and hearing something like that's really interesting, yeah. Yeah, true. And, and and also he said to me during the lunch, uh, he said, you know, a lot of people, he said, we're talking about general things, and he said, Everyone, the big thing in life is not to die while there is unplayed music in your life. And he said, don't ever die without having played all the shots you want to in life. He said, don't let the music die with you. And I thought, that's an interesting point. Don't let the music die with mm. you. So anyway, we'll see how we go. And I'll let you start off on the bad guys. Um, um, my bad guy of the week is Conservative Justice Clarence Thomas from the US. Uh, he's found himself in the news. A big ProPublica article this week came out. Basically, Clarence Thomas is the most conservative judge on the US Supreme Court. Uh, he's been working to... The, the Roe v. Wade abortion decision, he was at the forefront of getting that um, overturned. He has said we should also overturn the decisions about gay marriage, um, about the right to contraception and those sorts of things. He's been the most conservative judge on the US Supreme Court ever since he was appointed by Ronald Reagan back in the 1980s. It's come out this week that he has been um, cavorting around on a billionaire's private jet, his friend, a Mr. Harlan Crow, uh, without declaring 
the benefits and gifts that were being showered upon him by his billionaire mates on the register. Uh, that's super duper bad because if you have your judges, um, well, that the U.S. Supreme Court judges are uh, the Republican judges, especially, are just ideologues. They're not judges. But putting that to one side, uh, if if you have a system where on your highest court your judges are taking private plane trips with billionaires and going to their mansions and getting showered with gifts by them and not declaring that on the register of interests, uh, you've you've lost democracy. And we, we've talked before about how, yes, the US has lost democracy, but it's just another hammer blow uh, to the level of democracy there and shows sort of once and for all to anyone who's willing to listen that the US Supreme Court is a joke of an institution. Well, it, it is, and, uh, you know, and... Uh... And and one hopes that there's something that uh, I don't know what can we might need a constitutional change or whatever to work out how uh, how judges are appointed uh, and and, uh, and 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 what scrutiny sort of happens when they do. But look, uh, my bad guys of the week actually are the French nation. Uh, as you know, France has been having riots in the streets uh, over the pension age going to be. Retirement age is going to be raised from 62 to 64. Now, you know, it's 67 here in Australia. The Frenchman are writing said that they've actually been destroying buildings over this issue of the retirement age. Now, when the retirement age was set in France, you know, just it was in Australia way, way back, people were dying at age 70, you know, when they when the retirement age. The Australian retirement age of 65 was set in 1908. And back then, most most blokes died. With the male workforce, most blokes died around seventy. So, you only retired for a few years. Now, medical science has moved that you can live to ninety, like I have. I'm here because of medical science uh, there. And, and so, people, you know, got 30, if they retire, they got thirty years wondering what the hell to do with them. But is their super fund going to last that long? Is their pension going to? Now, Macron's done this in France because. The French super fund is going to go bankrupt with all these oldies living longer. They're not dying the way they should. And so there's obviously a need to change. But when you get to the point where it's not only riot, you destroy public property over a trivial thing like, like what's the retirement age going to be in this town? I, I just found the, the French nation. You know, I've stopped drinking French wine for a week in protest. I, I will say, yeah, that the, the destruction of public property, and that's no good, and I think the raising of the retirement age is, is a fine policy. Um, one of the big problems is, though, Macron has tried to pass this using a special clause in the French Constitution yeah. that allows him to pass it not by democratic mandate, which allows him to bypass the parliament to get this through and just pass it unilaterally. That's really bad. The raising the retirement yeah, age that. isn't worth that, protesting yeah. over, but I think that is definitely worth protesting over because it, it's a, using something like that to just pass such a really insignificant and middle-of-the-road piece of change. You know, it, it gives a green light to later governments to use that to pass all sorts of unpopular things and consolidate their own power using that unilateral provision. So that's... That's, I think, something definitely worth getting up in arms over um, because, you know, imagine if Scott Morrison could could have unilaterally passed any legislation he wanted without needing to get it through the parliament first, just off his own hand. 
um, off his own bat sort of thing. Like, that would be really, really scary. And we would have had chaos in front. Well, James, I think we've spent our half hour. It's Easter, mate, and a very interesting, just in closing remarks, you know, Australia is one of the few countries in the world that has four days public holiday at Easter. And can seeing only one person out of every ten goes near a church in Australia, it's a wonder that uh, Australia still decides to have public holidays on days that 90% of the population don't think are, are relevant. And for instance, you know, in America, not that I want to use them as an example, but there's no holiday on Good Friday. If you want to go to Good Friday Mass, which is good Catholic, well, you get up early in the morning and go, or you go at lunchtime, you go in the evening, but you don't get a day off. So I think we've got to look at the whole public holiday system in Australia and say, why have a four-day Easter break over a religious event that 90% of the population don't think is relevant? I think, funnily enough, Australia still has, like, the least amount of public holidays out of, well, not the least, but close to the least anywhere in the world. I think we have significantly less public holidays than most other countries. Um, so I think we should have more. <laughs> well, well I, look, I agree with that. I'm just saying... Why don't we have an environment day for our argument? In fact, we're all going to go out and plant a tree somewhere uh, mm. instead of, you know, do something that's, uh, you know, that's relevant in the whole, uh, you know, in the whole matter. And, and so I think we can think up reasons for, uh, we can think up reasons for holidays. I mean, uh, I think we've only got to exercise our minds as to what might, yep. uh, might happen. We could have a reconciliation day every year in terms not just, in relationship with indigenous people, but with the refugees and all sorts of things. We're not only limited by imagination about what we can do in public holidays. No, you're entirely right. You're entirely right. Uh, maybe an Everald Compton day later in the well, year. Particularly if I get a free bottle of whiskey that day, I'll, I'll be in touch with that. Well, James, it's been, it's been good to chat as uh, usual and our half hour's up and you have a happy holiday for the rest of the Easter and We'll chat again next Saturday. I'm sure that there'll be a bit of skullduggery on between now and next Saturday. So we'll talk again. Yep. Have a great Easter, Avril and family, and all our listeners, of course. Thank you, Thanks too, for James, listening, yeah. everyone. Ciao for now. Bye.